Welcome to the Future is Fun podcast with your hosts, Brian Olds and Danielle Tucker. Buckle up as we explore the latest emerging technologies, business trends, and fascinating discoveries that are shaping our world today. Are you ready? Let's dive in and see what the future has in store. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Future is Fun podcast. My name is Danielle Tucker, and I am here with my amazing co-host, Brian Olds. Brian, how are you? Episode four, we are back. What's going on? Listen, uh, I am doing really, really well. Uh, 2023 is off to an incredible start, Danielle, and I'm super excited about this topic and uh, just moving on down the line. I know we have this like massive list of topics that we're going through. And each time I, th- I feel like once we get to the place of, you know, producing the episode, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, this is, this is good. So um, I'm happy you brought this topic to the forefront. I think it's something that uh, everybody, even if you don't have an education around, I mean, this is certainly something that impacts everybody because we all live on this little planet called earth. So Yes, yes. So I want to just to first point something out. I feel like every year I have the same conversation where I am either talking to you or talking to my mom. And I'm just like, was this winter a lot shorter? Or like, was this summer a lot hotter? Like, have things just been like changing ever since like last year? Um, I know when you came to visit, uh, we met in person for the first time. You came down here to Huntsville, Alabama, and you were in like short sleeves and like shorts just on like the first week of December. Facts. Absolutely. <laughs> but this, so, this is just for context, you know, you live in Huntsville, Alabama. Yes. So it's supposed you know. to be cold in December. Like And it's a, in Huntsville? Yes. Oh. Well, yes, yeah, like snow, like cold, like it's it, it was like, OK, so at the time last year, it was like, what, 65 between it was really 65 warm. and 70. Yeah. So yeah, yep. that was that was surprising to me. I see. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, well, I, I just think anything in the South is supposed to be like hot, but I know all <laughs> South isn't created equal. So that's fine. No, usually Florida is pretty warm. That's pretty like consistently. Like I remember when I was a child, like if there was frost on the ground, I would be ecstatic. <laughs> like I would bundle up like if, as if I was about to go into a snowstorm. That was how exciting frost was in Florida. <laughs> But uh, I, I think about having that conversation every year and realizing like, wow, like this is something that is very important to me because I know how things were when I was younger. I see the patterns of how things are changing year to year. And I figured what better opportunity for our episode today than to talk about the future of sustainability. So um specifically i figured okay like to kick this episode off i'll share a little bit about uh like the background when i think of sustainability and then if you want to as well you can share a little bit with me about um and everyone listening about like what you think sustainability looks like and then we can look at what the un says sustainability is so um, oh yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) it's a whole you already know mine is coming from television so yes (laughs) You could go ahead. Yes. So for me, when I think of sustainability, I think of uh, the first thing that comes to mind is reduce, reuse, recycle. And 
uh, how can we make the most systematized approach to reusing what we have, uh, putting less of uh, items or even energy out there that is just doesn't need to be used and really being very intentional of how we can take better care of the environment where we live. And so I think that's probably the simplest way I would think of sustainability. There's like a lot more to the picture than just thinking about reduce, reuse, recycle. But that's like the first thing that comes to mind when I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same thing here. I think my my impression of this harkens back to being a kid. And so do you remember uh, Captain Planet? Yeah. The TV show? <laughs> more specifically, you remember the theme song? You're a little bit older than me, Brian. <laughs> Just a little bit. But, you know, so Captain Planet and the, the the official name of the show was Captain Planet and the Planet Tears, um, U.S. Uh, animated television series. It ran from basically, uh, it was on like syndication from like 1990 to 1992. And so okay, it was yeah, like. That was um, the year I was born. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So well, it's okay. <laughs> but it was like, so basically it was this, um, it was this cartoon that taught kids about um environmental sustainability about the topic and so it talked about um you know essentially recycling um every episode had a different theme so we talked about pollution and um there was a teenage superhero so this is like the prelude to power rangers almost and so um each of the teenagers had these special rings that they could control different aspects of the uh environment so uh and actually the theme song at the end was like earth fire wind water heart and each of the teens were actually from different parts of the world as well and so you had somebody from the united states um africa uh the ussr which doesn't even exist anymore it was russia you know and so (laughs) they would fight crime you know all these people trying to pollute the earth and then when the problem got too big that they couldn't handle there was a crime fighter uh they could put their rings together and it was like when our powers combine um we're gonna summon captain planet and then this blue guy would come up and you know he could like you know have all these powers to like fight crime and stuff like that so it was a really really cool show uh but that was my first introduction to um the environment and recycling and and all of that and they actually had some really cool voice actors on that show too whoopi goldberg was on it what? Um, lavar burton uh jeff goldberg what? meg ryan martin sheen like they i don't know how they got the budget for all these people but <laughs> it was it was really good so if you have a chance check it out but basically oh that informed that show informed my impression of just being more thoughtful and mindful of the environment. And um, so much so that I actually remember Danielle getting mad at my friends for littering. Like, I, like when you they, do? you know how people like, throw stuff out the car window. I'm like, why are you littering? Like, there's a trash can right there, you know? And they're like, shut up, you know? Oh, so <laughs> I would get so Turn mad. <laughs> And even to this day, like, I just, I think it's just kind of like, you know, ridiculous just to throw trash and stuff like that on the ground where you could like, just like throw it away or whatever. But certainly um, things like recycling and, you know, just thinking about taking better care of the planet has been something that's been top of mind for a little bit. But I still, you know, even with the topics that we're about to dive into today, there's still so much that, you know, I really never even thought about. So. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. It's also, to your point about the car, it's also one of the reasons why one of my favorite things in my car is my car trash can. Do you have a car trash can? If by car trash can, you mean the <laughs> uh, side console, um, driver's side car console, the side console uh, thing where you put the, uh, <laughs> no. the cup holder. Yeah, no. absolutely. That's that's where I put all my receipts and napkins, <sighs> tissues, and it gets cleaned out, you know, every time I go to a gas station. That works too, but... <laughs> I, I didn't Amazon, even know they existed. You can, yeah, you can search. So if you just Google car trash can, they sell them on Amazon and you just like hook the little strap over your like middle, like the middle divider between the, the um, driving seat and the passenger seat. And then you just have, just have like this little trash can. You put like one of those uh, Walmart bags in there and you just put your little, your trash in the hole. And then when you're done, you just take your bag out and throw it away. You see, I might be older, but I feel like you and your husband have just figured out life at a level that I, you know, I like I haven't been in Ikea in like three years. Like, you know, there's just certain things that I'm just I'm a little bit behind on. So I I always appreciate that. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Um, It's it's. You shouldn't feel bad because honestly, my husband, Devarius, was the one who told me about it. And I was like, eh, okay, let's try it. And then we did. And I'm like, okay, we're not going back. <laughs> so it's, it's It sounds really convenient. It sounds really convenient. It's very, very convenient. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about some more of like what sustainability looks like in terms of like the UN's definition. So United Nations, I'm here on the website and they have a 17 goals for sustainable development. And I wanted to share those with everyone because I think this is very, a very interesting chart to look at for one. But I think also when we think of sustainability, a lot of times we can just think of like the environment. Whereas when I look at the 17 goals, they have like a whole list that may, um, it's more like a wholesome list that really encompasses a number of different things that I think are really interesting. So here's a list. Number one, no poverty. Number two, zero hunger. Number three, good health and well-being. Number four, quality education. Number five, gender equality. Number six, clean water and sanitation. Number seven, affordable and clean energy. Number eight, decent work and economic growth. Number nine, industry, innovation, and infrastructure. Number 10, reduced inequalities. Number 11, sustainable cities and communities. Number 12, responsible consumption and production. Number 13, climate action. 14, life below water. 15, life on land. 16, peace, justice, and strong institutions. And finally, number 17, partnerships for the goals. So uh, looking at this list, I find it to be very interesting. And this is something that you pointed out. It seems that a number of these different parts within the 17 goal plan actually overlap, which I find to be interesting. What are your thoughts on this chart, Brian? Yeah, it just it, it's, it's really cool. I, I, I think we're going to get the graphic up so everybody can see what we're talking about. But, you know, 
all of these are objectively important. I think that, you know, when I look at things like, you know, clean water and sanitation, um, zero hunger, zero poverty, these seem like things that are essentially basic uh, human rights. Um, you know, I, I, it's mind blowing that we can be, um, you know, in 2023 and in such a large percentage of people around the world are struggling with hunger um, or famine, actually, um, and not connected. I'm not talking about connected to uh, war or, you know, major like political civil unrest, just straight up like they do not have sustainable access to food, uh, access to clean water, access to basic um, human like services it, it just seems like so that that's where the um and to your point these are all connected because like number 10 is reduce inequity within among countries so what we're really talking about is like resource allocation i think and um and and also you know ensuring that you know people have kind of like a basic thing and now once people kind of have their basic needs met so people aren't dying from hunger, people are getting access to basic food, water, shelter, and uh, let's say healthcare, then there are some kind of larger aspirational things that we can start to move beyond. Like nobody cares about recycling, you know, when you're, (laughs) you don't even know where your next meal is coming from. You know, nobody cares about, you know, life below water if life above water is like not, you know, sustainable. So it's like, then you could kind of move. So I would almost be interested I don't think these are force ranked, you know, number one through 17. I I don't believe they are. I think they're just kind of listed. Um, however, I would be kind of curious what the the priority is and also how close we are fundamentally to some of these things. Like, um, you know, here in Maryland, uh, we, we just had a new governor and, you know, he has this... Um, initiative I heard announced to effectively end um, child poverty and um, in the state where we live, which is Maryland. And so that's one of the big things he wants to do. Uh, but when we start talking about countries, you know, you were talking about millions and millions of people. And so, you know, these things aren't, you know, not only do they not happen overnight, typically it takes a, a massive coordination of um of, of resources, uh, government, private partnership, as well as, um, you know, influence from the nonprofit world to be able to accomplish that. So, but I think it's really interesting. I didn't, I think I've seen this list before, but, you know, I'm excited that you bring it into this conversation, but I do think as it relates to environmental sustainability, uh, many of these do overlap and I would, I'd be really interested to kind of see uh, what happens. Now, I, I also know that when we start, um, looking at things like science fiction. So, you know, I started thinking about like Star Trek Um, and in Star Trek, Star Trek happens like hundreds of years into the future. And um, I know that part of the basis for the plot for that is that, you know, humans have actually at that point got to a place where technologically we're no longer you know, fighting for basic resources around the world. Like we're no longer dependent on fossil fuels. We've achieved like warp drive and travel amongst the stars. And so collectively, I think as humans, once we do get to a place where, you know, basic human needs are, um, are met, just like, you know, we were talking about last week in the AI episode, then it, 
provides a new foundation. So now where we can think about, okay, well, do we really need money? You know, if, if we care, like if cancer is cured, if, um, you know, food production isn't an issue, if we're able to, you know, everybody can get access to the same basic stuff, transportation globally is, you know, pretty quick. Like, do we need like money? And so there's a whole other conversation there. But generally, when I look at this list, I'm really kind of it's 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 extremely aspirational. And I, I just wonder, like, with some of them, I'm like, mm, you know, will will people <laughs> like actually allow us to get there? And then some is kind of like, oh, yeah, we should have did this like 20 years ago. Yes. Yeah. It's very interesting to think about it for sure. And also when you like partner it with sci-fi, somewhat not sci-fi, I guess, since now we're seeing the emergence of like AI now, which is still kind of like, wow, like we saw it in, in, on TV like 20 years ago and now we're experiencing different facets of it. But um, yeah, it's very interesting to see how all this plays out. And I think the biggest thing that I would say is like, if we can individually, if, if each person takes some level of responsibility for how they can contribute in a way that feels really good for them, like I think that would ultimately help to move things forward in a positive way versus, you know, um, not being informed and just wanting to just live life however you live life. You know, I think maybe just having more of a understanding, like an awareness about it, but then also taking a personal responsibility to contribute in whatever way that looks like for you. I think that also helps to contribute to like the overall picture of everything too. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of on the fence about that because I'm wondering, um, because again, going back to the captain planet thing, you know, Mm -hmm. I, that's that was kind of their message in the early 90s It was like, hey, everybody, if everybody does their part, then we can move the needle. If everybody uh, kind of like the forest fires, you know, only you mm-hmm. can prevent forest fires. But <laughs> most people aren't out there cars and forest fires, you know. But I do think that environmentally speaking, we all do kind of I think there is a big consumer education piece because the more people understand about a process and the more they can advocate for it, the more they advocate for it, the more that we create policies and solutions that uh, enact change. But I, I think that is really where the power is. Like if we're not creating sustainable systems, um, then it really doesn't matter. Like I, I don't have the numbers for this, but you know, there's all these arguments around like how like recycling, for example, is like most recycling doesn't work. And it's not because recycling isn't good or not needed it's just the the sheer um the sheer uh like the the ability to get okay we got plastic paper <laughs> and you know these materials it's like okay we can recycle that type of plastic but not this like we can oh do but we can't do the caps. you know what i'm saying so <laughs> yeah. it gets very specific and then there's a cost even associated with that and so things have to be like that the system is broken it doesn't matter if everybody's quote unquote doing their part if there's a fundamental breakdown so i do agree that i, I think there should be like an awareness but without the like without governments and private sector and nonprofits kind of working together 
uh, to create policies and resources to even allow people to meaningfully participate would just keep kind of spinning our wheels type of thing. Yes, I I definitely would agree with that because I feel like, I mean, it seems like it's, it's easy to be, you know, like we're creatures of habit. Like it's easy to do things by habit, but when you introduce a new system in place, like that takes time to implement. And so I definitely agree with you in terms of like, uh, you know, creating more systems to help create more habit that will ultimately lead to like longer, more effective change when it comes to sustainability. Um, so speaking of laws and habits and creating more sustainability, I actually wanted to play a quick game. Yeah, I, I love games. Top, yes. <laughs> I have the top 10 list of the most sustainable countries in the world. When I looked at this, I was actually kind of surprised. I was like, hmm, okay. But the game is, I have, okay, so I have a top 10 list. You may actually know some of these, but I wanted to see if you could guess, how should we do this? Should I do it like what's number one? Or do you want to guess like what's in the top? Well, well, yeah, I'm open to either or. I will say that um, I have not looked at the list. I purposely didn't when you told me not to. So (laughs) I don't, I have no idea. But I think, why don't I get, you said it's 10? Yes. Okay. Give me 10 guesses and then you could tell me if I hit it. And if I hit it, um, just tell me where where it ranks. So I'll tell you the country and where, like, I'm going to just guess that the the country top 10 without guessing the spot because I think that's a little too hard. Yes. So let me just guess the country and then you tell me if it's on the list and what number is that. Let's do it. All right, cool. So first, Now, I am looking at a list of countries just so I don't have to go off because that's too hard. But this is just like a random Google list of countries. But I'm going to put Canada in there because I feel like Canada is just like very, very just naturally like everybody's in Canada is super polite. Like, have you been to Canada? No, I want to go so bad. I feel like Canada is just on top of everything. They're like, you know, just like with gun control um, this past um, year with all the mass shooting. They they weren't even responding to mass shootings there. They were just like, hey, U.S. is dealing with all these mass shootings. Here's what we're going to do. So I just feel like they're really progressive in that way. So my first pick is Canada. Yeah, they're not on this list. Dang it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I told you I was kind of surprised. Okay, that's fine. So that's number one. Um, okay. My second guess, I'm going to go really, really high level Switzerland because Switzerland just seems like they um, are just like if Switzerland is not on the list, I should just stop guessing. <laughs> Switzerland is number three. All right. <laughs> yes. Okay. There we go. We're get we're getting it. By yeah. the way, if y'all are listening, let us know in the comments if you um, if you're watching online or if you are. If you're driving, don't do this. But, you know, when you get to a safe (laughs) destination, let us know. Okay, I I, I feel like all of these are going to be like Nordic countries. Like I know USA is not on the list. That's I'm not even going to do that. Um, And (laughs) so I'm going to guess. How about Denmark? Yes, that was number one. All right. Yeah, because I feel like the. is that like a Baltic? I feel like the the northern, like the the Baltic, you know, you know what I'm saying. So okay, yeah. All right, so that's yep. that's I have 
I'm on number four, I guess, right now. Yes, you're on number okay. four. I um let's see. Uh what about Luxembourg? Yes. That's on, that okay. was number two. <laughs> Are you sure you haven't looked at this list? <laughs> I have not looked at the list. I swear <laughs> I have not looked at the list. I'm just going off of like general like reputation of what I would think are very, very um, progressive like countries. Um, okay, cool. So you that's got the first three down. You've got the uh, first three. All right. You um, what about Germany? Probably not. Yes, I believe Germany is on this list. Germany is number 10. Okay, just just got it through. Okay. okay, so that's number Good five. Job. <laughs> I now I feel like the next few are going to be a little bit harder. Um, I said Switzerland. What about Sweden? Yes, number eight. <laughs> <laughs> this is okay. Okay. Um, so you've got five so far. We have so that means you've had six guesses. All right, let me go with a more industrialized country. So, what about? Um, uh, probably not, but I'm gonna still say it because they produce like a lot of electronics and stuff like that. So, um, but they're also really advanced. So, Taiwan? Mm, no, no. Okay, I didn't. I didn't have high hopes for that because I, I didn't. Because <laughs> they they produce a lot of stuff. So if they were on the right. list, that would mean that they were like super efficient. Um, right. Let's see. Um, what about like a Caribbean? Um, now some of these, like some some of these like smaller island countries, like the Seychelles, like I feel like they should be like really sustainable because they're, you know, they just like happen. They they have a, a smaller like um like carbon footprint in general. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't really actually know kind of what goes on goes into the list, but I'm gonna just do a rapid. Uh, for my next few, um, gosh, um, how many is I'm on my sixth guess, right? You've got three more, three more, three okay. More gosh, okay, oh man, I don't want to be wrong. Um, uh, the United Kingdom is definitely not on there. Um, I'm actually, it is. Oh, which was why I was so shocked. The UK? That's amazing. That's good for them. Yes. Good for them. It says they're among the top performers when it comes to waste management, sanitation, and the fight to stop climate change. Number yeah. four. Because they, they were the closer of the superpowers. Um, so that's good. Um, what about Qatar? Uh, no, they're not on this list. All right, Qatar, and I got one more guess. Um, yes, Norway. Yep. Yes. Number nine. <laughs> I got. I think I got like six of them, right? You got seven out of ten, right? Wow. Great job. Hey, if anybody in the UN wants needs a speaker, you know, just just you know, <laughs> Brianos.com. Let me know. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. Great so which one? Job. Which ones did I miss? Okay, so. We are missing Finland. Finland. Was another one. Finland. Austria was another one. Would never have guessed. And then Austria. this one, I'm kind of like, is this for real? But France. Okay. Okay. Because you know what it is is that. So what's this list again? Like, how how did they come up with this? Did we this know? Is like, on the Eon, this is on Eon Energy. It's it is it says. 
Um, every year, the Yale Center of Environmental Law and Policies Environmental Performance Index ranks global nations and their success at achieving sustainability. So this is based on the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policies. And then it Got says it. a scorecard that rates countries on 32 different factors ranging from carbon emissions to waste management and air quality helps provide policymakers with a snapshot of how well they're moving towards a sustainable future. So that's where they base this list off of. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, again, the, these are, these are initiatives and policies that take decades to get like traction. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think not every country can be great at everything and that's fine. I think the U S likes to think it's, you know, the best at everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's kind of cool to see, you know, other countries, you know, model, um, some of these plans. So, you know, I, I definitely, after the show, I'm going to dig deeper and see kind of what it is. Cause some of these are surprising. Um, like I'm, like, I'm really curious what Austria and, uh, <laughs> some of these other countries are doing to, you know, get that recognition. Yeah. I'll make sure that we can share the link in the show notes because, um, yeah, I'm, it shares a little bit about what each of them, each of the countries is doing that has like helped in terms of their ranking. But yeah, this is, it's very intriguing list. That's for sure. (laughs) Does it give you the list, the rank of all the other countries? Like, do we know where the U S is on that list or is it just kind of just, let me see because it gives me like a, um, I feel like the it U.S. Show, would be it like, just shows me like the top ten, but I do. Yeah, I have to research that a little bit more because it gives like the reference to the Yale University Environmental Performance Index, but it doesn't give me a link to it. But that would be something interesting to see. I think the U.S. is like eighty nine or something. Oh. <laughs> like it's like we're like it's to think about. <laughs> we're like because there's only like 194 or 95 countries depending on you know who's who's counting like it's not like like a 50 percent we're in the middle 50 percent like so yeah it's not like a you know i feel like we're just kind of hanging in there you know not the ultimate fail but not (laughs) (laughs) right we're we're like we're and and wherever we are canada is probably like a couple notches ahead i'm sure yeah Yes, definitely. Well, yeah, well, let's keep talking about this. Um, So we went through the 17 uh, sustainable development lists for the UN. We talked about the top 10 countries, most sustainable countries. And now I wanted to give like a brief overview of um, looking at sustainability from the context of like the environment. Mm -hmm. I think that would be like a great place. I know there's so many different ways that we could be thinking about this, but I, I would love to like hone in on like the uh, environmental component with this. So here is, um, here's a brief uh, description that I found from greenmatters.com. And it talks about like what are carbon emissions and what causes them. So um, when I, uh, I want to start off talking about this first, because some, some of our listeners may be have like a high level overview of like environment sustainability. I know before I started researching this, I was kind of, you know, I knew it was important, but I didn't really completely understand the dynamics of how all of this played out. (laughs) So I'll just read this really quick just to kind of set the stage and then we can talk about some more interesting stuff. So, all right. So maybe you remember the greenhouse effect from school. Let's start there, everyone. 
The greenhouse effect is the natural process of how the sun warms the Earth's surface. When greenhouse gases release into the atmosphere, these include carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, ozone, and water vapor, and trap the sun's heat. They warm the average global temperature, causing it to rise. This is known as global warming. What should happen is that infrared radiation escapes into space, but instead it gets trapped in our atmosphere and warms the planet. So as a result, carbon emissions are one type of greenhouse gas emission that happens when carbon dioxide enters the air after human activity or process. They are crucial to this conversation because they are the most significant type of emission in the terms of quantity. As of 2017, carbon emissions com comprised of 82% of all total greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. So this is a reason why carbon emissions are like a big part of the conversation whenever it comes to sustainability, global warming, and the uh, environment of the world as a whole. Mm -hmm. So perhaps the most important way that carbon emissions affects the planet is by causing climate change. As the average global temperature warms, our climate inherently changes and it warms. This warming causes extreme weather events like tropical storms, wildfires, severe droughts, and heat waves. And while an increase in carbon in the air can in some ways positively affect plants and crops, if the climate changes the land and causes drought for other weather events or, or other weather events that crops and plants are unable to survive in, it can be detrimental to crop yields. So, that is the brief summary that I took from greenmatters.com just to kind of set the stage and give us an understanding of like what in the world we're talking about here. So did any thoughts come up for you as I was reading that, Brian? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, first of all, have you heard of um, like an inconvenient truth, like that documentary that um, mm -hmm. Al Gore did like back in 2006? I don't Not that you've seen it, but just have you heard of yes, it? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So there are all these kind of like, um, like spinoff. And this is actually weird enough. This is like my favorite genre of movie. I don't know why it just is. I, I are love well my not so not the documentary like the documentary is like terrifying but <laughs> because he's talking about um you know climate change whatever he's basically al gore you know has been trying to sound the alarm about um global warming uh for years and the fact that um we as a people to your point earlier like we have the ability to reverse some of the things that we're we're um uh, doing to the planet and there's kind of different um factions of people some people believe global warming is real some people believe it's a myth some people believe that it is real but it's a cycle and so you know it'll start and then it'll stop it'll go back like we don't need to do anything and um there's all these opinions in between and so um it's it's really interesting to me how much how this one topic, you know, tends to divide so many people. And I understand why, because there's so much money. <laughs> like as soon as you introduce money to the equation. It, and it's inconvenient um, to change your lifestyle. It's not convenient yeah. at all. It, yeah. And that's at an individual level. Never mind. Like imagine having a, um, like a coal mining, um, 
you know, in your portfolio or you're running that or, you know, you, um, you know, oil is the thing. Like there are a lot of like the, the, the most wealthiest people on the planet have a vested interest to um, continue practices that aren't necessarily in line with the planet's best interests, you know, based on, you know, scientific research. And so now it's like, okay, well, you know, they're going to do everything they can to like bury that or kind of kick the can down the road. And you got other people like sounding the alarm that this is uh, really happening. But right now, um, everything that you're saying, Danielle, kind of happening, you know, I've, I've, now been on the planet almost four decades and so you know have the ability to kind of even in my short lifetime see the apparent apparent alleged you know ramifications of global warming um and and you described the uh the the average global temperature rising slowly over time and the impacts of that we know that Uh, glaciers are melting. You know, we know that storms are becoming more violent. Um, We know that uh, weather patterns are absolutely changing. And so it's it's just a matter of, are we going to believe this is true or believe that it's not true? And so (laughs) I think um, that is all like really good context. Um, One of the things I, I looked up uh, just as a thought experiment, as we were talking about this, is have you ever seen those YouTube videos where it talks about like what would happen if all the humans in the world like suddenly disappeared? No, but I can imagine it was probably very interesting. <laughs> it is super interesting. And so there's this one um, YouTube video by um, this channel called um, Mind Warehouse. It has like millions and oh. millions of views. And it says the 10 things that would happen to the planet if humans were to suddenly disappear. And it's a cool thought experiment because we, I I think all the things that you're talking about, like carbon emissions, so obviously plants, factories, um, automobiles, like there's all this effort to kind of curtail our use of, of production that is actively contributing to all this, um, global warming. But if humans just suddenly disappeared, like for some ridiculous reason, whether it's, um, you know, uh, virus or asteroid or asteroids probably a little different. Cause I think that would, there, there'd be <laughs> other consequences for that. But like, if we just suddenly disappeared, here's what would happen. It said, uh, just a few hours after humans disappeared, obviously all the lights around the world was shut down. Of course, electricity would halt. Um, but like 10 days afterwards, um, all the pets and farm animals would start to die out due to uh, starvation and dehydration. Uh, a couple of weeks later, um, all the little dogs, like people have all these pets and stuff, they would be like the first ones to go because like little dogs can't really, they're not, they're, they're domesticated. So they're not <laughs> designed to like survive Why in the wild. funny and sad at the same time? It's really sad. I don't want oh. anybody coming after me. <laughs> like it's super sad. So you're lovable, like all the golden retrievers and stuff, they wouldn't make it. And then the rest of the dogs would kind of come together in packs and it'd be this roving street gang of other dogs. So real survival of the fittest types of thing. Number four, like a month after humans disappeared, um, the cooling water, the water and like the nuclear power plants that we have around the world, which there are, there, there are a lot of power plants around the world that rely on nuclear energy, the, the water would evaporate. And so it would trigger a series of explosions that are stronger than the Fukushima and Chernobyl explosion. So that would start kicking off like 30, 40 days in. 
um, a year afterwards, all the satellites that are orbiting around the planet would start to come down and free fall into the Earth's atmosphere. Um, 25 years later, this is number six, 25 years later, 75% of the planet's paved streets, all of our sidewalks, they would be covered in grass and vegetation. So all the, you know, there'd be no sign of street signs, any of that, like it would all be covered up. Um, cities like Las Vegas and Dubai uh, would be covered in sand. Um, like the cities like no longer existed, like the desert would retake them. Um, number eight, like this is 300 years into the future. All of our buildings, particularly like metal um, objects like the Eiffel Tower, San Francisco uh, Bay Bridge, they would start crumbling. And in the video, it shows like a... Um, like a, a depiction of that happening. And it it's like really terrifying <laughs> and jarring. Um, number nine, all the swamps would, you know, kind of uh, reappear uh, around most of the world where they were like um, retroformed. And then number 10 is that um, in 10,000 years, the only evidence of man-made buildings would... Um, Oh, yeah. So it's basically it's saying that in 10,000 years, only like, you know, the pyramids and like really, really solid, well-constructed buildings might stand a chance of surviving, but everything else would be gone. But the environment as a, as a whole would kind of like return back to like a state of like homeostasis and the planet would continue to survive. So I thought it was really interesting because like what you're saying is like, hey, on one hand, you know, humans... The, this this is planet like this is the only planet that we have that could sustain life that we know of and um you know humans it's up to us to kind of take really really good responsibility for it but if we suddenly disappeared the planet would like start thriving like almost immediately <laughs> so it's really interesting yeah that is very intriguing i need to take a look at that video actually I feel like that would be very interesting to see. Um, speaking of humans disappearing, I guess, not really disappearing, kind of reclusing. Um, I have another interesting study that I wanted to talk about from the National Library of Medicine, and it talks about how the ozone layer of the Earth's atmosphere was able to heal itself in the midst of lockdown during the uh, pandemic. And what it says is that researchers at NASA reported that the ozone concentration above Arctic regions of the globe decreased by around 240 Dobson units as compared to the ozone concentrate uh, in, sorry, in March 12, 2020, as compared to ozone concentration in March 12, 2019. Such low levels are very rare and happen about once per decade. Uh, NASA reported a comparatively higher concentration of ozone over the Arctic regions in 2019 in comparison to the low level of ozone concentration in 2020. And uh, let's see, in the ongoing COVID-19 lockdown across the world, it's showing that um, there's a direct correlation between air pollution levels and economic activities such as industrial activities, uh, transportation and energy production, along with the small scale interferences at city levels. This suggests that clean energy-based uh, system has to be adopted as the coronavirus outbreak ends. So I was looking at this report and uh, 
They also, if, if you were to look at this report, it shows like pictures of like where the atmosphere like healed itself and within the time of people being in their houses and not driving around going places for like a year, which is like so amazing to think about how much things can change in the atmosphere just by not driving or like just not being around doing things and being in your house. Like the, the atmosphere literally is able to heal itself. So, and, and, and that's over a period of like, that was like less than a year, right? That was less than a year. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I think, you know, things like that are really interesting and, you know, there's probably arguments on the other side because while that was happening, um, the global economy probably lost like $10 trillion or whatever it was just based on, you know, stuff not getting manufactured, stuff not getting built, people losing jobs, et cetera. So it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, that's nice, but, you know, at what cost? And so mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm saying. Like, there's always going to be this tension between until we get to a certain level of like innovation and efficiency. I think there's always going to be this like capitalistic tension of, hey, you know, we want our big screen TVs, you know, we want our like, you know, uh, our fast fashion, we want our whatever. But, you know, we also kind of need to make sure that we still have a planet in the next, you know, 300 years. Who is responsible for calibrating this um, demand versus this now versus later, you know, expectation? But I do remember uh, on the pandemic, they were talking about um, in New York, which was, you know, obviously the epicenter for a very long time for COVID-19. I remember seeing like videos of like dolphins swimming in like New York Harbor for the first time and seeing like whales, you know, Mm -hmm. in the Chesapeake Bay, like, you know, just really, 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 visible and visceral examples of nature almost celebrating the fact that we're locked in a house for like months <laughs> at a time. So uh, yeah, I think this is really interesting. Yes, that is very interesting. So you mentioned fast fashion. I want to I want to jump to that topic because this is something that I have been thinking about. I I love clothes. <laughs> I love, yeah. I mean, most of the time you'll probably just see me in a sweatshirt because it's comfortable, but like, I also enjoy like a nice, I enjoy viewing like nice fashion. You know what I mean? Yes. And so for our final uh, part of our conversation, I wanted to talk about fast fashion because this is something that I was made more aware of at the end of last year. And since being more aware, I've been very, um, interested to see how that like ties into the ho- overall scheme of things. And I would also love to hear your opinion about it too. So uh, the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of what fast fashion is, is an approach to the design, creation, and marketing of clothing fashions that emphasizes making fashion trends quickly and cheaply available to consumers. So uh, overall, fast fashion Uh, contributes to 10% of global carbon emissions and roughly 70% of the $3 trillion fashion industry is comprised of articles made from synthetics and petrochemicals. So that's just a little bit about what fast fashion is and how it ties into our 
overall conversation of sustainability. But uh, I would say from like a consumer perspective, fast fashion can feel almost like addicting, especially like with the whole era of like TikTok and YouTube shorts and Instagram reels and, you know, people wanting to stay on trend, look fashionable, you know, uh, like with the whole like influencer marketing type of thing, like people want to look good. And also, um, you know, the idea of doing it in a way that's not maybe the most expensive, like if you can get something that looks designer without having to pay designer prices, there's also that element too, I think of why it's like, so, uh, you know, buying fashion and things that are on trend is like so desirable to a lot of people, but, uh, you know, looking at it from like a fast fat fashion, uh, perspective of like how can we make the enjoyment of the clothes we wear and you know experiencing fashion and, and appreciating it how can we make it more sustainable and do it in a way that is like respectful to the planet but without you know compromising our joy and love for for fashion and what it is so um i i know brian um Fast fashion is something that I just shared with you briefly, I believe it was yesterday. And um, like, what would, what's your like first thoughts about fast fashion? Are you a fashion person? Do you care about fashion really? Like what yeah. are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, well, everybody knows I'm the most fashionable person now. Like <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I think, uh, I, I think, I think I, I may have purchased like, you know, three new pairs of pants like last year or something like that. Like I, I like to me, you know, clothes is kind of like it's like function over fashion most of the time. But I do want to make sure I have a couple pieces just to be prepared for stuff. So like, you know, um, blazers um, and, you know, nice pair of you know jeans and stuff like that. But here's here's what I say about this. You know, you introduced me to this term fast fashion. and I know there's a lot of conversation about it. We um this was not covered in an episode of Captain Planet in the early 90s. And I think <laughs> there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, um, the the needle has moved so quickly. Um, and I think as a large portion of the two intersections of technology that you talked about, social media um, and e-commerce, you know, there was no Amazon in 2019. I mean, 2000, 1990. Sorry, there was no Amazon. Um uh, and the expectation, the consumer expectation around um, how quickly we should be able to get um, something that we see, you know, back in, in the 90s, people were like shopping by catalog and it was it was OK to get your product in like a week and a half, two weeks. Um, and, you know, you probably weren't going to return it, you know, if, if it's, you know, if it was a little off, you just kind of dealt with it. Now it's like, Ooh, like it's, we'll order 50 things because it's free shipping and we can get it like in three days. And then we'll send back like 45 things without even thinking about it. And it just like sits in a warehouse somewhere and maybe it never gets used. And then it gets, you know, um, sits in a landfill. And so, these are all things that I um, previously, you know, I hadn't thought a lot about, you know, where my clothes were made, what they were made out of, 
or what happens when I no longer want them. Like, you know, I'll donate them or they go in the garbage, but I'm like, you know, I'm not really thinking about that. And I think the, the, but now I am. And so it opens up a bigger conversation. I think, you know, consumers now are becoming much more mindful. And so for the folks that are entrepreneurs and um, really that list, Danielle, that you share those 17 um, global initiatives that the UN has, I think if you're an entrepreneur or even an investor, you know, you should be looking at, um, business opportunities that are attached to those 17 objectives, because ultimately that's really where a lot of opportunity is going to come from as consumer education continues to um, make people more informed buyers and um, people are electing to um, put their support behind companies that are going to um, prioritize sustainability. And so to that end, I wasn't too aware of it before, but now I am. And so I started looking up, okay, you know, what is sustainable fashion? And so sustainable fashion, um, as defined um, by earthday.org, refers to clothing supply chain that is ecologically and socially responsible. And so there is this desire to, um, there is this trend that's happening right now for consumers to move away from the fast fashion model toward more sustainable practices. And so, and that's all up and down the supply chain. So sourcing, production, distribution, marketing, and consumption. So it's like there's opportunity in every level of the supply chain to um, be more mindful, intentional, and sustainable. Now, I think that for me, um, you know, there's again going to be this push and pull because consumers are still going to want. I, I mean, it's really hard to go from, hey, I can have these 50 items tomorrow in basically whatever color I want um, to, oh, let me just, uh, you know, get one or two things. And so um, I was mentioning to you that I was at a business pitch competition yesterday at Morgan State University and the girl who won actually had a sustainable fashion business. Part of her business model was to have a series of uh, essentially like consignment shops. And so once people were done with their clothing, instead of donating it to Goodwill or even just like tossing in the trash, they would um, source those um, gently used items and then curate them in a way where, you know, um, Consumers can still shop online, get their stuff, you know, relatively quickly. But now um, they're taking um, like branding goods and stuff like that. And you're getting quality brands. You're getting um, discounted prices and you're also kind of being environmentally conscious. And so she won that business competition like hands down. I and she I, did. She crushed <laughs> it, Danielle. And so I think that is where things are going. And here's why. The same um, article was saying that the fashion industry produces um, 150 billion garments a year. Um, so it's like 40 million tons that ends up in a landfill. And so when it goes in landfill, it just kind of sits there because most of these garments are made out of um, materials that aren't naturally going to like um, biodegrade. Um, the other big issue that, again, I had no idea about is the... Um, the dye, the the coloring. Um, so from a textile perspective, um, textile dyeing is one of the most polluting aspects of the global fashion industry. And so like um, I, I saw this article 
about this um, town in um, Bangladesh. Um, and the guy, you know, is like, you know, this guy's like 40 or 50 years old and he was um, standing next to a river and he was like, you know, when I was a little kid, you know, my family, we used to fish here. We used to, you know, um, before the textile like company moved in, they used to, it used to be an amazing kind of place just to be. And now the river is black and it is the, the most heartbreaking thing that I've ever seen. And so basically what happens is that the discharge from these factories, like to create a blue shirt or a black shirt or yellow or, you know, whatever color that, um, that takes water and that waste water has to go somewhere. And so that water in Bangladesh and in other communities around the world is, um, they're getting the discharge of that. And it's not just coloring. It's like a cocktail of, you know, cancer causing chemicals, dye, salts, heavy metals. And it ends up not just hurting the local environment, but also water sources in that community. And so this, this piece is a much bigger conversation. I think that I've always just thought about, you know, hearing about like the Nike, like sweat shop. So I've always thought about it from like a labor perspective of like, Oh, you know, I don't want to wear something that, you know, some 10 year old kid and, um, you know, China is getting paid like, you know, six cents an hour to, to make like that has always been a, a big thing. But now this other part opens up in a completely different part of the conversation. Yes. Yeah. That was everything you shared was very well said. Um, one thing that I've been thinking about and that I've, been researching is the idea of having clothes that decompose when you're done using them. <laughs> and mm. yes, there's this one company, it's called Unless, and they uh, market themselves as the first streetwear brand to create products that will harmlessly decompose at the end of life. So uh, it's made 100% plant-based nutrients like recycled cotton, hemp, plant-based leather, coconut fiber, uh, you know, plant-based materials like that. And uh, I was watching the video and it showed like one of their hoodies or like t-shirts like that was made. And then it showed it like after a month of it being in a comp, like a um, composter. And it was like falling apart, which was like really mm. cool. Um, I feel like uh, having more clothing that could be compostable would be really great. I think it would be able to be very well sold to like the mass public if it were made in a wider variety of like designs uh you know different concepts and also i think a big part of it would be popularizing different of course different trends um and having clothing designed with those trends in mind so that was one thing i wanted to share that i thought was like very intriguing i, like, I wonder okay. yeah go ahead I, I wonder if they um like is the life cycle of their products the same as the non-sustainable counterpart? So like that hoodie, like how many times can we wash it? Like, does it stand up the test of time? Um, or is it kind of like, hey, you know, the expectation is you can wear it for a year, but then it's going to start, um, you know, decomposing or whatever naturally. Like, I, I just wonder what the, the thing is, because I actually really like that idea. But, you know, the other stat I, I ran across is that like the average person buys 60 percent more items of clothing than they did 15 years ago. 
but we only keep them for half as long. And so the average garment may be worn as few as 10 times before disposal. So I'm like, I'm wondering, I, I think in general, particularly in hyper consumptive um, countries like the US, like we tend to do that. Like we buy way more clothes than we actually need, but people enjoy kind of having like the option. Um, and also if you're living in a place that's like hyper seasonal, like, you know, you may only wear a hoodie um, three months out of the year, but keep it for two or three years. You know, I wonder if their hoodie would last that long or if it is the expectation like, hey, you know, I'm gonna wear it once a year and then, you know, just kind of rebuy it when I'm ready to wear it again. Yeah, that is a good question. I'm not sure how long it lasts. I know that they can be like machine washed and reused. And I think like once you put it in dirt, it will start to decompose. Like you kind of have to bury it. <laughs> um, oh, okay. That yeah. makes sense. <laughs> I see. Because that, that triggers the compost process. Yeah, yeah. And um, what was, yeah, I also think it could be really cool to have like, like, you know how like you can vacuum seal stuff? Like yep. if you have like a whole bunch of stuff, you can just vacuum seal it and then like put it away for like the next season or whatever. That could also be like a really great way to like keep your clothes for longer over time if, if it were to be like that compostable type of clothing material. So that was another thought that I just thought of. Yeah, but, maybe let us know in the comments as y'all listening. Um, are you have you heard of fast fashion? Are you thinking about sustainable fashion? Like what how does that factor into your um, decision as as consumers. I'm really curious to know. Now I'm wondering because um there's some stuff I want. Like I mean it <laughs> I, I mean I might be buying some clothes this year, but you know, I don't it, you know it's 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 really, really interesting to me that um something that we took for granted for for so long and this is this covers like everything that we talked about today from driving pollution like some of these topics we're going to go into more on the futures fund podcast but it's like there's so many things that you just kind of take for granted it's like oh that's just as where that's just how we produce energy that's just where clothes come from that's where food comes from you know and it, and now there's um like an actual conversation around it and options so i just think it's um it's really interesting that we can um we we have a, an opportunity to uh as people really guide the direction that this this um that this is going because the, the reality is we got one planet <laughs> right now you know elon is working on getting us to another one apparently <laughs> but for the time being for the foreseeable future we got one planet and i think we should be um trying to it, it, you know take care of it as best as possible i don't i don't think there are any perfect solutions um and i, I don't think it's any one kind of governments, you know, even though, you know, we're here in the U.S., you know, uh, we didn't make the list, but that doesn't mean we're like absolved from responsibility of trying to uh, create these these things. But just from a business perspective, for the folks that are listening, I, I really just think that, you know, if we could um, just kind of think about how to have both, because they're, they're, I, I think sometimes it kind of gets into the conversation, you know, this or that, you know, can we have it, um, you know, can we be fashionable and still be sustainable? And I think 
the market is kind of proving with some of these case studies that, yeah, we we absolutely can. Uh, we don't need to use as much energy. We don't need to pollute, you know, waters in Bangladesh. We don't need to. Um, um, we do not need clothes. Like, you know, 12 hours after we ordered them, <laughs> like, it's OK, <laughs> like we could wait a couple of days if it means, you know, being a little bit better for the earth, in my opinion, but probably not everybody else's. Yes. <laughs> Great. Well, I think this has been a great conversation. I've definitely learned a lot. How how did you enjoy this conversation, Brian? Lots of stuff I need to learn. I'm very happy. I mean, I was happy that I just guessed like six of the countries. So that's, you guessed that, seven. That was oh, really good. Yeah. That's that's that was my win. I'm good for the rest of the week. Yes. <laughs> Um, good. Well, I think we're good to sign off. I just want to say thanks to everyone listening. We always love having you here, joining and having us listening in on your ears for the Future is Fun podcast. So for everything that we talked about today, we're going to include it in the show notes on the website. So you can go and check it out at the Future is Fun podcast.com. You can listen back to this episode, check out the show notes, read through everything, and you can also find the links that we mentioned today as well for all of the different references and articles that we were talking about. So uh, with that being said, I think we're ready to sign off and close. We have officially come up with our sign-off catchphrase. Are you ready, Brian? I'm ready. Okay. So with that, until next time, keep dreaming, keep innovating. And we'll see you in the future. That's right. All right. Bye, everyone.